Have you ever thought of starting your own nonprofit? Ever wonder what goes on behind the scenes? Well, my next guest is going to help us unpack it all. She's one of the most generous people I know who genuinely leads with her heart and everything she does proves it. She's the founder of Beautifully Loved, a nonprofit organization that helps support families in need battling chronic illness. Welcome to the Beauty Aside podcast. I'm Gentry Quinn. I dropped out of school at the age of 17, got my GED, and still managed to build multiple businesses and a beauty line from the ground up. Beauty aside, each week we'll be talking with entrepreneurs and learning what it takes to achieve balance and what it really means to follow your dreams. Welcome, Shay. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm so happy that you're here with me. You do so much for the community. You're a busy mom and a wife who literally puts her entire heart and soul into helping others. Before we dive in, can you tell us a little bit about your background and what led you to want to start a nonprofit? Yeah, of course. You know, to be quite honest, there wasn't ever a plan to start a nonprofit. (laughs) It just kind of organically happened and um, all the, you know, paths led to it. So I, you know, went to college at Texas Tech University. I have an international business degree. Um, I thought I was going to travel the world and run a big corporation one day. And that didn't happen, but ended up, you know, becoming a mom and a wife volunteering a lot in different areas and, you know, always wanting to help other people and find a place where I could give back. So, you know, over the years, I did different things. And um, one of the things that um, I got to do was uh, organize fashion shows and photo shoots and uh, which I really loved and um, be part of productions, which I really loved. But um, my My heart was always wanting to help children and specifically I always wanted to help the children's hospital and I tried for a while to volunteer and it was a little hard to get in which is understandable there's a lot of you know privacy and you know precautions taken by the hospitals Um, so I spent like a year trying to volunteer for this great event that they have called uh, the Dell Children's Blood and Cancer Center Prom. And I just thought, what a fun event, and I would love to be a part of it. And so I actually, in, in trying to volunteer for this event, started volunteering for a dress shop, a local dress shop. And my very first day of volunteering, I said, you know, you should uh, work with Dell Children's Hospital. They do this prom, and you have all these beautiful dresses. And she said, well you know, I can't actually, I give them free dresses every year for their prom for the kids from the blood and cancer center. And I can't make the meetings this year. Do you mind going in my place? So after a year of trying to volunteer for this event, my very first day of volunteering at a dress shop, I basically was invited in. So I always think, well, it was meant to be. (laughs) I'm glad I stuck with it. And um, so started volunteering for the prom. My favorite, which is one of my favorite events they did, and the event that, the part of the event that I really loved is their printing party, and they would go to a beauty, local beauty school, and all the the girls would come, and the ages range from 12 and up, and they were all um, pediatric cancer patients or blood disorder, excuse me, blood disorder patients, 
and they would come and, you know, get their hair done, their makeup done and get ready for the prom, just like a normal prom. And the thing that I always noticed was they would walk in and they would come in with their head down or they would be tired or didn't feel good or feeling insecure, whatever, whatever was and, you know, kind of quiet. But the moment they would get their hair done, the moment they would get their makeup done, and the moment they would put on their dresses, everything changed. I, I feel like it's kind of like that Cinderella moment. It's like all of a sudden they felt strong and they felt beautiful and they were talking and giggling and, you know, telling each other how pretty they were. And and I would see that every year and just thought that's so powerful and they should feel like that you know, more often, like they need to feel like that. The first of all, it's hard enough being a teenager, but then being a teenager with a medical diagnosis that one will isolate you from your friends or your social life or take a toll on your body or your parents. And I just, you know, so I just felt like, what could I do? Like, and since I had been helping with some local fashion shows, I went to the program director at the blood and cancer center thinking they would say probably no. Um, And I just asked, if it would be okay to do a fashion show and the patients would be the models and they would just have like a moment on the runway and they would feel beautiful and waiting for the no, I got an immediate yes. So um, went into action and uh, put together a fashion show with almost nothing and didn't know if anyone was going to come. And it ended up being amazing. And uh, you and, the wonderful Alex, of course, helped us that first year. I'm so grateful for you guys. You've been on this journey with us the whole time. Yeah, so um, three years after the first fashion show and all the amazingness that came from it, we decided we should do this for more ages, for the entire family, for more people, and Beautifully Loved happened. So it just, it was kind of just a process and led to where it is now, and I never imagined it. I never pictured it, but I'm grateful for what's happened for sure. Isn't it funny how life works like that? Yeah. <laughs> you, just, you just put out the energy and you keep doing what you do. You put out the intention and then it organically unfolds. And sometimes you have to hold your breath when you ask for what you want because you're so scared that you're not going to get it. And sometimes you do get it. And that yeah. is victorious. That is such yeah. a, a cool feeling. And I, yeah. just love, I just love that beginning to the story. But I, I want to... I want to go back and unpack this a little bit because I think it's a really, really important for people to hear, especially if they've had a dream for a while that hasn't left them. After a few years, you said, of organizing fashion shows and leading photo shoots, you said, and I quote, you had a vision that would not leave your heart. Can you tell us more about that vision and those thoughts that wouldn't leave you leading up to? that point so I'm I tend to be one to always see like this huge picture right um probably sometimes too big for myself and I you know the vision I had I just you know as far as even like the fashion show you know I had that vision and what it would look like but I didn't know if one if it was enough or if it was um needed or if I should be putting that effort into something else, right? And the moment that, and I didn't let it go. I held on to wanting to do the fashion show for months because I thought, or I had the fear of um, it not being able to happen or, you know, just being a silly idea, you know, for this situation. 
And the moment we did it, it became this amazing thing that is still going on. We just had our sixth fashion show. And so, and then from doing the fashion show, I had this vision of this organization and I held on to that one for a lot longer than the vision of the fashion show. I, I mean, from, you know, maybe even a year because of the, the worry and fear of, is this enough? Is this um, what the, you know, I need to be bringing to the table? Um, are people going to understand this? Are people going to support this? When I say, you know, let's do a pamper day where we do hair and makeup, are people going to be like, yeah, I support that versus, you know, some of the amazing things that other people are doing. And so I just held on to it and held on to it. And I, you know, finally got to a point where I was like, you know, I believe in this enough that I just want to try. And if I try and it doesn't go well, or maybe it's not what's needed, then that's okay. You know, at least I know I just gave it that effort. And so within like, um, and I'm a big believer in things happen when they need to happen and when they happen and with who they need to happen. I believe in all of that. So within like a week, I started kind of putting the pieces together to maybe make this happen. And every piece fell in place, like just fell in place. Like I, like I didn't expect at all. And I thought, okay, well, <laughs> let's, let's see. Um, but then literally the next day after, you know, we became like official, we had our first event um, at the blood and cancer center and we did a mother's day pamper day. And um, there was a mom there with her little girl who was six years old and she was in isolation. She was going through leukemia and, um, just needed to be in isolation for her treatment. So we pulled her mom out. We did her mom's hair and her makeup and her nails. And her mom kept saying, no one's ever done this for me before. No one's ever done this before, you know, for me. I've never had my hair done and never, no one's ever done my makeup. And she just felt so good. And then her daughter heard about her mom's beauty treatments. And so we got the permission of the doctors and we went into her room and, you know, got all suited up and um, she got her little hand massages and some makeup done. And I'm standing at the doorway with her mother. And this is the day after we've, you know, become officially beautifully loved. I'm standing in the door with her mother and she starts just crying um, a lot. And I remember, you know, silly me saying, Oh, you're going to mess up your makeup because <laughs> she had just gotten her beauty treatments done. And her comment was, you don't know how important what you're doing is because when my daughter who was six years old at the time, and up to this point, we had only worked with teenagers said, so when her daughter found out that she had cancer, her response was, I'm going to be ugly. Like that was her immediate like thought was I'm going to look like a boy and I'm going to look ugly. And that moment I realized how these feelings happen even at the age of six. And I, it broke my heart, but it was the moment that I realized, okay, I'm supposed to be here. And from that day forward, we have not stopped going. So it's kind of, you know, like to have faith and it was needed and I didn't know how bad it was needed. And we, and, you know, moving and going nonstop now. So, yeah. Really makes me emotional listening to you when I think about all the families that you've touched. Also, because I know you personally, so I'm, I'm not hearing about uh, everything that you do for the first time. I know the distances that you go to do what it is that you do. 
And it's pretty incredible. You know, in business, people always say you've got to know the why. I always hear that repeatedly because to keep going through the tough times, the why is what carries you through. Do you think this is, this is the case for you? Oh, most definitely. I always think I know the why and then something comes to, you know, light and I'm like, oh, there's another why, you know, or there's more depth to this why that, you know, I'm doing all this for. And, you know, when I started everything, my goal was, you know, what do I want to do with this? Well, I want to make them feel as strong as they are, no matter who we are, no matter what situation we're going through and what age, you know, we go through these hard times and we doubt ourselves or we have insecurities or we just feel alone and we all need someone to show up for us, you know, maybe even most of the time without being asked to show up for us and say, you're okay. You got this. And I, you know, I see you, I love you and look at you, look how strong you are. Look how amazing you are. Look at everything you've done. Look at how beautiful you are. And we need people to put a mirror in front of us to show us our amazingness and our strength and our beauty. And that is what, my vision was for Beautifully Love was to come in and put a mirror in front of these families' faces and show them what we see. And what we see are these amazing people going through the most difficult things and needing to be reminded of how loved they are and just, you know, how we see them. And which we don't always, you know, we we forget to see ourselves like that sometimes. So that was the beginning of my why. And then you know, going through the process, you know, the past few years, I've learned so much. And there's, you know, so much more to learn for sure. And it's given me a whole new perspective on life. And, you know, um, the things that our heads and our hearts really do need. And, you know, even most recently, you know, I, you know, dealing with, you know, my emotions or my head and my heart, you know, I realized that, you know, maybe, unconsciously part of the reason too I started Beautifully Loved is I remember being a teenager and the feelings that come with it. I remember being a young adult and trying to figure out life and needing someone maybe to show up for me. And, you know, so maybe, you know, subconsciously also I knew I wanted to do this for other people because I knew how it felt, you know, so um, and I don't want anyone to feel like that. I would never want anyone to, you know, feel anything but strong and beautiful. So, you know, yeah. So every time it gets a little challenging or hard or, or emotional um, or draining, you know, sometimes I'm tired. I remember who I'm doing it for and why I'm doing it and what it would do for me. And it pushes me to keep moving forward for sure. Wow. That's really powerful. There's always another why I'm going to remember that Um, and your motivation. So you think that that's where your motivation comes from or stems from also is maybe feeling certain ways and not ever wanting someone else to feel that way. Right. Yeah. I think so. I think so. That's so fascinating to me. That's a really, I just love the way human minds work and it's often the smallest things I think the smallest moment that really stick with us on that replay and, and over and over again in life. And if they're good, if they're powerful like yours, they manifest into something really deep and meaningful, which is so precious. 
you know, you, you and your organization, honestly, are the most, you have the most meaningful organization that I've ever personally heard of or worked with in any way. And we've worked with a lot of nonprofits and had events and, and, and truly you, yours is. And I think a lot of that is because you're actually on the ground working and seeing and being right there face to face with people that are experiencing these things. It's not as if you create an organization where you sit back at home on your computer and you have everybody else working (laughs) outside doing whatever it is that you do, which I imagine some organizations are like that. You're very much on the ground right there, very hands-on like emotionally connected to everyone and their well-being, which I think is just really special. I want to talk about the mechanics, so to speak, for a minute, because I know that there's going to be a lot of people probably out there, maybe listening right now, that are really interested in starting their own nonprofit. And I also know that the perception of what, you know, people's ideas and their perceptions are often very different from the reality of what goes on behind the scenes or, you know, day to day in the life of someone that's actually living it, which is one of the things that we always like to talk about on this show. So just to start off with kind of the mechanics and going behind the scenes, can you tell us what the day to day life is like of having a nonprofit when you're not, say, when you're not in an event or in your case, because of the type of nonprofit you have. I know you're at the hospital a lot. So if you're not at the hospital or not doing some sort of event, what's the day-to-day life like of a nonprofit? I appreciate this question too. Like just to go back a tiny bit, because you said a lot, there are, you know, people out there, you know, wanting to start a nonprofit it's definitely not what you think. <laughs> you know, I think most things um, you think seem a little easier than they really are. Um, and a lot of people start nonprofits because they have a beautiful, you know, intention in their heart. Um, but you're essentially creating a business. And that's not how I saw it in the beginning, but now I understand it. So, um, so yeah, I mean, you know, for the, as far as like my day to day, so I am a very small um, size nonprofit, you know, there's definitely different, um, levels of, uh, organizations and, um, mine's very small. It's just a staff of me and then, um, the amazing volunteers that we have for sure. And so, you know, before, you know, we're kind of in this uncertain time right now. And before that we were primarily a events-based nonprofit. So, um, we do currently have nine programs listed out on our website that we do. So it's nine programs and just me on staff. So it definitely takes a lot of time, weekends, nights of uh, work for sure. Um, but before it was uh, events, so we would do up to two to three events a month. So a lot of that time was spent planning these events, whether they were large or small. The range of the fashion show was this year we had 500 people in attendance. Um, to the very small ones where we have like 10 people in attendance. Um, So whatever that arranges. So usually it was planning events or going to the hospital and helping um, the needs there. Most recently, it's been 
mostly serving from afar, but finding needs where we can help. So every day, you know, I'm checking on a family at least once a day or talking to someone, just seeing where they're at. Um, we've helped the hospital with supplies they need. We've helped other nonprofits with supplies they need and we supply families with um, items they need. And the items we provide are mostly toiletry items, wellness items, and clothing items. So um, working on uh, trying to find who needs assistance at this time. So, yeah. So it, before it was planning events, now it's shopping for items needed. So, um it pivots. Yeah. It pivots like other businesses and most certainly yeah. the ones that have to pivot under the certain climate that we're under right now. Now you mentioned it's a business, which is really important for people um, to acknowledge because some people I think might be confused over it being a nonprofit and versus a business when actually a nonprofit is a business. Would you say that the difference between nonprofit slash business is that a nonprofit is a business, but maybe a charity or, or am I, am I talking semantics too much or is there, or those, the, is that the difference? <laughs> yeah, no. So, yeah. So I, I appreciate kind of touching on this because, you know, when I, so when I, my perception before I started all this was a nonprofit and my vision um, or my mind was an organization, like almost like a club, not really a club, but you know, an organization and they do these great things and they, you know, do these fun, amazing, you know, events or whatnot. And so that's what I saw it was, I was, I saw it as rainbows and butterflies and going in and it was just going to be fun. And then, and no one, I had a few people kind of guide me a little bit, but nothing. I wish I knew a little more going in, I think. And, and then it started and going through the process, I realized that not only, you know, yes, we're getting to do all these like, you know, philanthropy, you know, focused things, but it's essentially starting a small business. And it comes with, you know, uh, rules and regulations and money and, uh, and correspondence and, you know, accounting and, and social media and marketing and branding. And there's like, it's everything that a business is. (laughs) And so I was not prepared for that part. And it's almost like you hear the stories of people starting small, you know, or you hear people starting small businesses in the, you know, the first few years, it's just a lot of sacrifice and you don't make any pro. you know, it feels like all of that. So um, I wasn't prepared for that. Exactly. I knew there would be some things, but uh, so, yeah, so that's something I guess I had to get used to that. It's not just rainbows and butterflies, but it's also, <laughs> you know, uh, business. business. Yeah. So, um, which is a little difficult for not, it was a little difficult for me in the beginning because I wasn't wanting to start a business necessarily. I wanted to start an organization that did these great things. So it took a while for me to like accumulate, you know, or, you know, get used to it and, and understand what I needed to do. And, um, so, yeah, it, I mean, it's very interesting and, you know, it definitely wasn't the perception I had. Um, still glad I did it, but 
when I hear people t- saying, oh, I want to start a nonprofit, which is pretty often, I feel like, because there's a lot of amazing people wanting to do a lot of amazing things. I sometimes want to go, uh, okay, <laughs> hold on. Let's, um, let me tell you, you know, be ready for this and this and this and this. Um, because I wish someone would have probably told me that. So, so okay. Yeah, so let's talk about this, this, and this, and this, because I think that, <laughs> that that's, that's what we need to address here because what is it that you wish specifically, maybe there's a couple of things, but what is it besides it being business-like? What is it that you wish you had known before you got started? So going in, yes, I wanted to do these great things and people wanted to support me, but I didn't realize how much of it would be as much as, and I don't want this to sound, you know, bad in any way, but as much as I'm trying to keep families happy in what I do, I also have to keep volunteers happy. I have to keep donors happy. I have to keep sponsors happy. I have to keep the hospital happy, you know? So it becomes almost like this balancing game of being able to make everyone, which I know is impossible, but you have to do your best to make sure everyone is happy because if they're happy, then you can do the work that you want to do. But if you, you know, people become unhappy, then you're not able to move forward. So it's always this general management position. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And I didn't realize how important that was going to be and how much work that was going to take. You know, and I know every piece is important, but, you know, sometimes it, you know, would get like overwhelming to try and take care of all these families I'm taking care of, you know, and then also take care of everyone else who's making this work happen. And I want them to be happy, that's for sure. But that also puts a lot of pressure on me and a lot of stress. So I wasn't prepared for that kind of management. I just thought, Let's do some fun stuff. <laughs> Rainbows and butterflies. I, I, told, I think this is very insightful. This is a really, really important conversation for us to have because I can identify and I think a lot of people are going to identify with being the creator, like the artist, the visionary, and then having to add, it's like just add water, adding, oh, adding the water, which is the business, which is, you know, is takes up most of the, the, the space in the bowl. Um, and without it, the other can't really exist. I know that coming into having a brick and mortar store for the first time, I, I think I can't remember exactly how long it was before I was like crying in the parking lot spontaneously one day walking out of the store and just and Alex saying, what, what's wrong? Why, why are you so stressed out? And just like bursting into tears because I was always the creator. Yes, I did work for myself. Yes, I did aesthetic spa stuff, but it was, you know, it was, it was pretty laid back as far as I could set my own schedule and stuff like that. And with makeup jobs, I could get set my own schedule. Even if I had multiple jobs on the same day, I was kind of in control of it. And now I was in control of that and having my own brand, my own beauty brand. And on top of that, what you're describing, being a general manager of so many different parts, which means now you can't just focus on that creation part that makes you happy all the time, right? That makes you full of bliss. Now you actually have to manage people and you can't just go in and say because I pay you or because 
you're volunteering for me or whatever. I want you to do this, this, and this to the contrary. You have to make people happy. You have to speak their language. You have to, you know, figure out what motivates them. There's all these different layers to this business stuff on top of all of the other stuff that we're not talking about right now that can, can totally bog your mind down, which is like businessy stuff. So I think a lot of people are going to relate to what you're saying right now. And I think that's really, really important. It's not to discourage people to the contrary. Again, it's not to discourage because if this is your dream, if this is what you're meant to do this, you know, it's like me making a film. It's like one of my passions. I, I, if I didn't know how much work went into it until I did it, but does that mean that I wouldn't do it again? Of course not. I'm going to do it again. Even now that I know how much work is involved, I'm just going to be more prepared. Right. right. So this is a chance for us to kind of blend that preparedness mindset to someone who might be thinking about wanting to start the nonprofit, give them a little bit of the behind the scenes reality. <laughs> okay. Right. So what is one of the hardest things you faced in your journey thus far? And like, how did you get through it? There, and I know I keep saying this because I believe it. There's so many people doing amazing things out there. And one of the things I realized kind of early on in my beautifully loved journey is that, you know, there's some organizations that, you know, are out there saving the ocean or trees or, you know, not as emotionally, like you do the work, you believe in it, you put your emotion into it, and then you can kind of go home. Whereas, you know, the, the, the path that I've taken is to serve and work with families dealing with, you know, health issues and life and death, essentially, um, survival. And, um, I just didn't realize, you know, the emotional attachments that I would make because of that. Um, and I, you know, I remember in the beginning, a professional telling me, you know, be able to, you know, you should be able to beware and keep, you know, things a little separate and keep your, you know, be more professional and not so emotional, but in the the person that I am and the, 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 the work that I do, it's all about emotion. So, um, and everything is, you know, and I fall in love with these families and I, you know, want to do more. And the emotional part of the work that I do, I think has been the most, um, uh, eye opening and something that I've definitely had to work through and still working through because I know this is what I want to do, but it's hard not to get emotionally attached, you know, so often. And, you know, in the past few years, there have been, you know, unfortunately some children that we've lost and, you know, it, it takes a toll on your heart and you, then you start questioning, did I do enough for that child? Or, you know, what can I do for their family moving forward? Or, you know, how can I make sure I do the best I can for every family right now? And so I, I, you know, I think my biggest challenge is just walking through the emotions of the work that I do and I wouldn't trade it for the world, but it's definitely taught me, you know, to remember to take care of my heart too, because I give so much of it away for sure. I love that. That's so important. You're so right. I know we were talking before the podcast and for the listeners out there, we were, I just used the example of, you know, 
you're on the plane and you have to pull over the oxygen mask on your face before you can help someone else. It's kind of, it reminds me of that when you're dealing with such emotionally heavy uh, situations, you know, and the, you're and they're very emotionally charged and fueled and life and work kind of blends in together, if you will. Sometimes there's not a, right. a really distinctive way to separate the two um, because they are, it is so emotional. So I think that that was really important that you mentioned it. With all of the hardships that you mentioned uh, a little while ago with the nonprofits or that, you know, that you faced with the nonprofit um, mm-hmm. businessy part of this whole thing, have you ever doubted if you were making the right decision? Yes, all the time, (laughs) all the time. And not that I didn't want to do this or, you know, whatnot, but I I cannot tell you how many times, and I like, you you know me, I'm, you know, pretty sensitive person. So I I think a lot and, and I don't know how many times in the past, even year I've sat down and, you know, questions, you know, question the poverty and just ask, did you pick whoever you are who picked me to do this? Did you pick the right person? Are you sure you picked the right person? Are you sure it's me? Because today I don't feel strong enough or today I don't feel smart enough or today I don't feel capable enough. Like why, you know, why me? You know, so am I enough? So I've done this many, many times. And I feel like I hope people know that the reason I do that is because I care so much and I want it to go well and I want it to be amazing and I want the work to be um, special and I want whoever is going to do that to be that. And I want to be that, but sometimes I, it's a lot. And so in anything, you know, I know even the work you do, you know, like it's just, is, is this what I'm supposed to be doing? Am I the right person for it? Those are the questions I've had, but then I come back to it and I'm like, I can't imagine doing anything else in my life right now. Like this is exactly what I want to be doing. And, you know, it's funny because in the beginning we talked about, and you were asking about my background and I said, well, I went to college and I, I was, I mean, I was super, I worked and took a full term, a full course load and was in like 10 student organizations and did internships. And I was, I was going to run an organization one day. I was going to be a businesswoman and fierce and da 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 da. And then it didn't happen. And I got so hard on myself for a couple of years there, like just disappointed that I didn't um, make all those things happen. But then I realized I'm doing, I'm doing that. Like today I'm doing what I wanted to do when I was 20 years old. I'm running an organization and I am making hopefully a difference. And I am doing the things that I thought I wanted to do at 20 in a different place in a different time in a different business. And I'm doing it now, but I'm doing it with a purpose and I'm doing it hopefully to make a difference. And I feel strong and good about that. And so no matter, you know, how much I question myself, I know I'm here for a reason. I know I'm doing what I'm doing for a reason. I know, you know, I just got to remember that when it gets hard, because it gets hard for sure. hundred percent. Do you consider this a dream or a calling? That's a really good question. I never really dreamed it in my life. So I would have originally said it was a calling. But the more I go into it, the more dreams I do have. 
So I think a calling has kind of developed into um, dreams that I didn't even know I had or wanted. That just gave me chills though. I love, I love your answer. I I think it's perfect. (laughs) It's led you to other dreams that you didn't know you had. I mean, how, how uh, much more profound could that possibly get? You know, with Beautifully Loved, what is your hope for the future? You know, it's funny because when I started Beautifully Loved, I had a different vision and it's definitely changed as it does for most of us who are going through a process of anything like this. And it's, it's still changing. I think, I think two years from now, it won't look exactly how I thought it would look right now. My hope is that we keep growing and finding areas that we can, areas of need that we can serve that maybe, you know, others aren't doing at the time and expanding not only in our programs, um, but maybe into other cities and other hospitals or other facilities. You know, when we started, we primarily were working with Dell Children's Hospital and Blood and Cancer Center. But if you look in our mission statement, it specifically says um, pediatric um, cancer, or other childhood chronic illness, because even back then I knew I wanted to open this up to other areas and to other Um, kids going through other medical diagnosis and journeys um, because there's so many people that need, I think, that attention. So my hope is to start opening the door and expanding to other areas um, besides the ones that we've been focusing on and um, just keep, you know, reminding people of how amazing they are and that the journey they've gone through um, just makes them even more beautiful. So you know, I just I just hope that we continue to find ways to um, be there for people and uplift them, empower them, and remind them of how truly amazing they are. So, well, you always have, so I know you always will. So I have no doubts about that. You said that, and I quote: "We believe that while we are not a world changer, we can be a game changer for those we serve." And I think that's such a powerful message for people to really marinate on at the end of the day, if we stop comparing our journeys to others and we understand the value of making small but steady changes over time, I feel like we can really make some big waves, especially where it matters. So I want to thank you personally for doing that for our community. And I know I feel like a lot more communities in the future. Thank you. And Alex for everything you've done and supported me because in the very beginning, you know, like I said, I didn't know if people would understand what I was trying to do or what I saw in this vision of mine, or, you know, if people would, you know, walk along me in this journey and you guys have been there since day one and I can never repay you or thank you enough for that. So thank you so much. Oh yeah. The pleasure is all, all ours. Our jobs are, are easy. Um, you're doing the heavy lifting here. Before you go, I always love to ask this question. What is your favorite quote and why? So I love quotes. I read, I like, it's my favorite thing to do is read quotes. So when you uh, mentioned that before, I was like, you know, that's going to be so hard for me because there's so many quotes I love. Um, my favorite people to read, especially when I'm eating some insight is my Angelo and Mr. Rogers. They have my favorite quotes for sure. But, or some of, you know, the best quotes, I think. Um, but I really was thinking about this. And so one of the events that um, 
with our nine programs. One of the, the events that we uh, were doing that we created was a self-esteem workshop. And what we would do is um, the clinic therapist would work with us and we would bring in young girls um, ages, let's say nine to 13 um, to do this workshop with us. And then the most recent one we brought in our older girls to kind of be there as mentors too. But I remember one of the first ones we did and, you know, they go through these exercises with the, the therapist and they talk about, you know, cancer and what it's done to our body and what it's done to our heart and what it's done to our self-image and our insecurities that come with that. That's, you know, pretty big topics for 10-year-olds or 11-year-olds. But I remember, you know, standing there and listening to them and they were having these conversations as 10 and 11-year-olds with each other that seasoned adults in these situations would have. So they would be talking about, well, did you, were you on this medication? Did you have this procedure? Did you, you know, like, and, you know, and just having like, just so much insight for being the age they are, but they've been through so much. And I remember, um, well, and there were so many things they said that really stuck with me, but um, one of the questions that was asked um, was, what does beautiful mean to you? And one little girl said, well, I, you know, I hate needles. They scare me. And I would always, you know, going through cancer, we always have to get poked by needles and, you know, it's just not fun, but I was brave. So I think being brave is being beautiful. And I think that is by far my favorite quote I've ever heard. Like it sticks with me all the time. It's kind of speaks to everything. I think beautifully loved is, um, but for a 10-year-old to say, I think being brave is being beautiful. And I think, I think, yeah, that would be my favorite quote. Mm, I really, really love that. And I just, I want to thank you for your time today, Ashay, and for sharing mm-hmm. your heart with us. I know that so many people are going to be moved by your mission and your stories, just as I've been over the years. And I would say, yes, you definitely are a fierce businesswoman as well. <laughs> definitely. I don't know that, <laughs> definitely. I'm going to say that definitely. Yeah, oh, you are. <laughs> Thank you. Wow. I don't know about you, but for me, that was some really powerful stuff. Now, if you would like to stay connected with the Shay and beautifully loved and learn how you can help support the cause, please visit beautifullyloved.org and check out our show notes for more details about how to stay in touch with them online. Bye for now.